You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Hello, Andy. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good to see you. How you doing? I'm super excited to talk to you when I've come across Gated and I was like, wow, what a super cool, innovative idea. So just for everyone listening on, I've got the founder and CEO of Gated, which is an intelligent email platform app that sits within your email and help actually stops you receiving spam. But that's not even the best part of it. The best part is if the spammer wants to get into your inbox, they have to pay a donation to a charity. So that's the really, I guess, innovative part was you're still letting potentially spam in, but if they're willing to pay the price to come into your inbox. So I thought it's a really intelligent way of thinking. And I'm super excited to find out from Andy, his journey, how he thought of that, how it came through, but also, you know, why he felt the need to create a product like that. So Andy, back to you to really tell us about Gated, like where, what, what happened to you? What was the journey that all of a sudden got you to think I need to create a product like Gated? Absolutely. Before I do, just to clarify one misperception, we don't touch spam at all. We don't replace the spam filter. We work with Google, like Google, Microsoft, they are in the business of massive data and looking at the contents of the email. We don't touch that. Like if Google marks it as spam, that's not, we don't interfere with that. We don't do that. We work on top of it. What we do, we we basically say like, listen, we know that there will be people that, you know, I guess at a fundamental level, the paradigm of using data to pull email out of your inbox, we don't think works. Um, It's, you know, it gets worse and worse every day and there's false positives and all that. So, we work with, like Google doesn't allow third-party spam filters. We are not a third-party spam filter. What we do do is do the work for you to filter your email that does make it through spam by the relationships that you have, right? So basically what we're saying is if somebody doesn't know you, they should have to take a little bit extra step to get in the inbox. So that's just, I just wanted to clarify because we we are not a spam filter. We don't want people to, to consider us or, or even in that way. Yeah, no, that makes all the sense. Absolutely. I guess I was thinking of it about what we consider a spam stuff that still gets through in your inbox at times, but you're absolutely right. There's already a default, but we still get so much of it, right? That's irrelevant to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, an American senator was once asked to define pornography and he stumbled and mumbled and struggled to define it and he couldn't. And he finally said, I give up. You know it when you see it. And I think that's the fundamental problem with email that you don't want is you don't, you, no amount of data filtering can do that. Um, and so, yeah, taking a step back for a second, um, I've built the go-to-market machines for three unicorns. Um, I've done it at uh, Elance, which became Upwork, Box, and then most recently Culture Amp, um, where I spent four years scaling that up. And so I've, I've had the privilege of working with great teams and building like the systems, the data, and the teams that send a lot of emails. So I've caused a lot of pain. I've spent my whole career in this. I've also been blown up. And so at my last job, I wrote an email that said, I don't know you. Here's my Venmo link. Uh, I really care about the Wounded Warrior Project, which does great work for veterans. Um, And if you'd like to donate 10 cents, I'll happily read your email. No guarantee of anything else. And people started donating, but they didn't just start donating 10 cents. They started donating $10, $20 more. And so I then took that and spent a year just iterating on what it was and what it should be. But I think the fundamental premise that um, people don't right now, it's like you don't control access to your own inbox. Anybody at any time can get right in your face and you should, it's yours, not theirs. Um, And we want to give that control over the attention back to users. That's what we built Gated for. Awesome. So you were using this concept at a previous role for yourself and you're like, wow, hang on a minute. People are responding to this. And then you thought, okay, so 
you're already seeing it in its works and you're seeing how effective and productive maybe you're also becoming as a result of it. But then you saw this also your cause being, you know, all of a sudden being gifted to or given to. So, so that just came to you sitting there going, okay, how can I, you know, take control of my inbox? That's how Gated actually started. Yeah. Wow. It didn't, I won't give full credit that it just came to me. Bill Gates in 2004 was said, Bill, aren't you worried about spam? And he said, no, I'm not. Somebody will put a monetary cost on it and it'll solve the problem. A lot of people have tried this problem. I've studied every single one. We have, actually have Bill Gates' former technical chief architect um, who spent a couple of years on this problem and he invested in us as well too. So the problem, I, I don't claim to have the original inspiration for this. But I've studied everyone that's tried it before. And so I spent a year and a half to two years just iterating on the model to where I knew it could work. And we spent a lot of time really digging in on that. And so, yeah, I, um, I started talking about it with friends and they're like, oh, my goodness, like, I need that. Can I have that? And so then I, I built it. I, I hacked it together on a next version and I gave it to kind of 10 friends. And we tend to take off between call it 30 to 40 percent of somebody's inbox, like all the email from people you don't know. And people started saying, this is amazing. Like my, my world has completely changed. And when somebody wants to pay two bucks or four bucks, they can, they can donate to reach me. Um, and then we had like an outage and all of the people said, I need this back right now. Like I woke up this morning and there's email in that box that shouldn't be there. And, and so you saw this visual emotional reaction to people that didn't want us to take it away. And so I knew we'd built something good. There were a lot of other questions we needed to answer before we really, before I decided to go full time and take money. Um, but we kind of got to 100 users um, about a year ago before we ever took money on this, that we're just using it, loving it. Um, and so it's worked really well. It's fantastic. Tell, you said that you've worked with, you know, multiple unicorn companies. You've been part of the journey before. So, you know, you're much, you're seasoned at when you see something really good. I want to just go back to that. What do you think makes a unicorn, given that you've been part of so many and it looks like you're on the verge of, began building another one, what, what does it take really? I think it's always different for every person. And I, you know, I, I think there's very little generic GTM advice, but if you had to boil it down, like you need to build a product that people love. Um, you know, I, I, Elance was already at a certain place. And so I joined that one a little bit later. Box, I joined right about APO. Um, so I got to learn from what had been done before. Culture Amp, we took from like 5 million to 80 million in revenue very, very fast. And there, when I joined, I spent a lot of time studying how users react to the product, what they love. We spent a lot of time on the brand and the vision and why we existed. I think we've done very similar. You know, we've built a product that we know people love. Gated. It's a little scary to take that first step to use um, and you know, to, to, to start challenging people on email. Um, and we can talk about that in a minute. Um, but if you have a product that people love um, and you then build the brand that people want to associate themselves with. I think those are two things that I found very successful. There is a fear when I was taking on your product. It's like almost this heart beat that comes across you. Like what if I miss this amazing lead opportunity because I don't have the domain or something, you know, that comes through. Um, I think that must happen to every person that is, you know, taking on the product, that one moment of, can I trust this? You know, can I trust someone and it's not just someone, it's not an EA, right? Can I t trust an intelligent or do you say that it's an AI tool? Would you say it's got an intelligence about it? So first off, like the email's never missing. We just take it out of your inbox and put it in this hard folder. So like, I think a lot of people have this like, oh my God, you're taking away those emails and I won't see them. No, you can see them. They're right. They're just not in your inbox. I think the... The other fear we could talk about in a minute is like the perception that I have of like being less available. And that one is actually really fun because right now most people ignore most of the email, right? Like the reply rates are really low. And so what we see is if somebody does donate, the reply rate goes from on an average of one and a half to 2% up to 46%. And so what ends up happening is by reducing the noise, you actually are becoming more available to the people that value your time. Um, so both of those fears don't they exist in, in the abstract and people are scared of them, but if we can get them, like they never materialize once people use the tool. Um, then you talked about the AI and EA. So I don't know if you saw my LinkedIn, I ran a company which outsourced EAs for three and a half years. Um, so I've run 
300 EAs in Guatemala and the Philippines, inspired by Tim Ferriss's book. Um, I've studied this problem incredibly deeply. And one of the first things people would ask us for with EAs is, can you have the EA manage my email? I would tell you this, it's one of the highest context jobs to do. It's really a, not a good one that I would advise having an EA do because, you know, the salespeople's jobs to get through like, Melanie, I see that we know this person in common. Well, like, what's the EA going to do if they don't know that exact relationship, right? So giving that EA context is really hard. Um, and so I think having an executive assistant filter your email is something I would not recommend um, because, and especially when you lose one and then you've got to go get another one, that context switching is really hard. And so I think our tool is able to do that like huge amount of triage. Now there will be small mistakes here and there, um, but what we've done is build, build gated to where it's tolerant of those false positives. And we allow people to maybe say you sent to me from a new email, like your personal email. My system's gonna say, hey, Melanie, you don't know me. Um, you can say, you actually have an ability to bypass gated and say, yes, I actually do. And here's why. Um, and so we think that we've solved those problems um, in a way that's better than using an EA or waking up every morning and spending 10 to 15 minutes of your day clearing out your inbox of stuff that's not relevant. Is it got an artificial intelligence, you would say, within it that is doing it or is it more um, you have done a way that you've systemized it to say, hey, if it's this, then this, or is it is it sort of learning as it goes? Today, it is a highly intelligent algorithm. Yeah. Um, you got to remember that we're not trying to build AI based upon the data that's inside. Um, you know, I think the next step for us would be to say, listen, if the 40 people that I know that are also users have trusted this, maybe I will too. And we haven't flipped that on yet, but that's that's starting to, to think in the background. Yeah, got it. Or like what the content of the email is, you know, sometimes you can intelligently go, this is a legitimate person, you know, trying to reach out. That's what I was saying. But then we start to go into Google's world. Um, and uh, so first off, I don't believe you can accurately use data to make those decisions. And, and our job is not to build a better, I mean, Google's one of the biggest companies and Microsoft are some of the biggest companies in the world building AI engines better than anybody else. And they get it wrong all the time. And we know it. So like we are not building a tool that is going to look at the contents of the email. Plus that's creepy. I don't think if you're an executive, you want somebody looking at the contents. Now, there are some things we could do where we could use AI without actually looking at them to say like, listen, this is clearly an out of office email, or this is clearly a this or that. But I think then you stray into the thing where you're making decisions. Well, at a fundamental level, we believe it's going to be better to um, filter your email by your relationship graph than it is by the contents of the email. Yeah, got it. Let's talk about email and email marketing as a uh as a channel, people might conceive, given what you have built, that you may potentially be against email marketing um, completely, or people might think maybe they built it. But I want to know, what is your actual perspective on email marketing? Do you see a place within the marketing mix for emails, you know? So I'm always a big fan of stories. Um, at CultureAmp, somebody came to me and said, Andy, we have a, an email marketing blast going out to 750,000 HR professionals. Would you like to pay to be on that? I said, no, that feels terrible. That's not part of our brand. That's not the way we want to reach people. And so I believe fundamentally that what we're trying to do is we're trying to encourage personal communication. Now that doesn't mean that that won't be sent by a machine. Um, but it, it, so I break email marketing into two buckets. I think there are the huge giant marketing automation blasts. And listen, there are some that are completely legit and we're working on ways to, like you have signed up on their website, you want to do that and you've decided to do that. And we're working on ways to work better and better with truly legit senders. But you and I both know that we are put on a ton of email marketing newsletters that we have not signed up for, we have unsubscribed, whatever. And so again, the question comes back, like what is legit email marketing? Um, and you know, like that 750,000 blasts, like I didn't sign up for that. Um, I don't, I, you know, my, the people that are HR professionals didn't want that. And so I remember when I was a freshman at Princeton, I was, I'm a little older and there was no email. And in the second year I got there and they're like, here's this new thing called email. And every time I'd show up and every email would be from somebody that was a real person that I wanted to do. 
we've lost that. There are 360 billion emails sent a day. Almost all of them are sent by computers. And so we have some of the biggest companies in like SDR, like the, and I won't name specific names, but companies that enable SDRs to send lots of email. We believe one-to-one -one email at scale is a great thing, um, but mass sent, uh, what I think we even have a term for it, but basically like unmonitored mass email is the term we use. I guess it's super interesting because there is very few emails, but there is some that you get in your inbox and I look forward to them, right? And because they're actually giving me value. I, I have those too. I have those two or three newsletters that I subscribe to that I want in my inbox. Yeah, and I... I don't know if I actually did subscribe to them or if I went to their website at some point and they captured my data. I don't know if I gave them the right, but I enjoy, you know, a, one aspect. I have I have a real um, a property one that I get on what's happening with the property market and I get that every second week and I, I enjoy reading about it, you know, because it's not selling me anything. I don't feel anyway, unless I want to at that point engage back and say, yes, I want to, but I got to learn something. I also love a UI UX person and the way they write and, you know, so it's interesting that um, there are very few, but there are some that I look forward to when I see it and I will open it every time and I'll digest it. And I think, wow, that was really great. And a lot of people prefer that over LinkedIn. There is some people that like to be receiving email communication over that. But I guess because there's so many crap ones, that come through and so many sales ones that are, hey, and, and you just put on a sequence. Like that's what's, I guess, the most irritating part of it. How about when an SDR starts to sell to you, you say, no, thank you. And then immediately you are in the email marketing newsletter of the company that said, okay, this person's a, a dead opportunity, but we're going to continue to nurture. I'm like, did you sign up for that? No. Um, and so I think the way I look at it is we're going to, if you've never emailed, I mean, at our fundamental, our system is like, if you've ever emailed to them before, they're going to be default allowed. You can at any point in time drag from the gated folder to the inbox. That will train that address going forward. You can also drag from the gated, from the inbox to the gated folder and you'll never see it again. Um, and so what we've done is we've made it right, right in email. So you don't have to go outside of your email. You don't have to learn. There isn't a little app, but you don't need to ever really use it. Um, and that's the, I think one of the other big innovations for us is people want productivity but they don't want another app. How does Gated then actually end up making money was the other thing I was thinking because it's completely free, right? It's completely free for users. Except for the donations. We take 30% of the donation and then the rest goes to the nonprofit. Got it. And with your nonprofits, how do you become a nonprofit organization on Gated? Because I'm guessing there's going to be lots of people going, hey, I'd love to be on that. How does that work? Um, you must be suggested by a user. Um, we don't let nonprofits just stick themselves on there today. Now, you know, we spend a lot of time with the folks at Amazon, Smile, who have innovated on this really well for like nonprofits. And so there are a lot of parallels, but we support about a million nonprofits today. Um, out of the box, we'll give you about 75 that are popular and national. But if you want something nuanced and unique to you, you can. We have a woman in Houston that has a nonprofit where clowns and circus performers work with disadvantaged kids. Like that's personal to her and we need to enable that. Um, and so the way we're working today and we will evolve it is you, if you're a nonprofit interested in working with us, you can sign up on our website and we'll talk. And if you want to like share data to your community, we can start to work with you. Um, but the only way to actually get on gated is either we start working with you as a nonprofit or, um, or a user suggests you themselves. So yeah, we can, if we've got something really close to our hearts that we want to be donating to, and we think we can contribute from our amount of emails, we can come to you at Gated um, and let you know as a user that, you know, I'd really love this. This is something that's really close to my heart that I want. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I know you're from Australia and uh, I think Australia and New Zealand. I, my last company called Tramp was obviously Australian. At the moment, we only support US 501c3s, but we're researching other international ones as well. But there's, there's some amazing ones like Doctors Without Borders is, is one of our favorites. It's doing some great work in Ukraine, right? Now. Yeah, I saw that. That was recommended straight away, I think, as an automatic one. But, um, you know, I've got, I, I also want to see lots of change within 
my original hometown being Bangladesh. So I want to see some impact back into those countries. So I was looking at what were the options. So I was really curious. I was going to get to talk to you and go, you know, how do you get other, you know, um, non-for-profits or people that are doing good? I'll, I'll send you the, uh, I'll send you the thing. We're about to expose that to the users, but uh, like we have women for Afghan women was big. So we'll, we'll, we'll find the one that's next door for Bangladesh. There's an amazing amount of U.S.-based charities that are doing great work overseas. Yeah, absolutely. So my other question was the minimum $2 that was set, I can see that you did that. I was curious why, because, you know, there's lots of charities that will like, you know, donate whatever you want, like put in whatever you want. Did you start, by the way, at like whatever you want and then put a minimum on or was that like, you know, a stripe issue or where did that two dollars come from the two dollar so we've we've tested everything um i mean i think at a first level you're obviously passionate about linkedin and linkedin's like email is a proof of this concept right like you can you know i think here's a fundamental problem with LinkedIn: the most senior person in the world costs the same to reach as the most junior person so we allow every gated user to set their own minimum donation now senders can donate more and about 25 to 30 percent of them do week in week out um Two dollars is a floor, just because below below that the payments fees start to eat us up. Yeah, that's what I thought it would be. I thought that the payment platforms would almost maybe partner with you, given the charity part of it as well. We got a better rate than we could get through charity because we've got some pretty strong relationships with some of these payment platforms. Um, there are like there are basically the, the the discount the charity platforms get isn't that great, um, and so we we. I've obviously know some folks in that. And so we've learned a lot about micropayments. You know, the irony here is you're, you're ending up, we're ending up paying like six or seven, 8% for our across the board is kind of our effective rate for payments, which will go down as we get bigger. Um, but there's no risk in a micropayment, right? Like no one's going to steal a credit card to deliver an email because it's always traceable back to them. So I, we think we're starting to push the envelope a lot on micropayments. Yeah, I thought that would be the case. And that's why I brought it up, because as you push into other regions, you know, into more Asian regions, the $2 minimum might not resonate into those regions. So that's that's true. Yeah, yeah we've got a decent number of Indian users, a lot of um, APAC users already, um, a bunch in London. But I think as you start to get more into like, yeah, like Bangladesh or something like yes. $2 maybe. India, billion users over there. So I figure we got the 350 million in the US first, but then we'll get there. Yes. So, yeah. I'm sure. So wide used already, Andy. I've got people, my mailing list is basically Australians mostly. And apart, and I've seen them all have gated already on and, you know, they already know about it. So, so that's super cool. I was like, they already know? Like, I thought, you know, this is sort of um, more newer, but no, they are. Switch on about it. As you said, I'm very passionate about LinkedIn. And I think where I want to talk to you about is, LinkedIn has a very similar problem, and I've seen you post about it, as email now. And it's almost, you know, everyone's complaining um, that especially within any C-suite or any decision-making power of any company that they're getting, you know, 20 connection requests every day where they're trying to be um, sold to. So in a very similar way, we've got a very similar problem over in LinkedIn I think you're seeing it as well. So what's your view on that? Do you see a huge similarity? Do you see yourself going, wow, I can't believe how similar this is at the moment? Yes. Yeah, so we, we get asked daily, can you build gated for LinkedIn? Um, I think there'd be a huge line if we can do it. Here's our belief. It's not our job to solve LinkedIn's product problem because otherwise they'll get pretty ticked off at us. Um, that being said, we've got some interesting things we're working on around LinkedIn. I mean, we see gated as solving the problem and giving you back control over your attention, no matter where you are, but there are different ways we can attack it. Um, you know, we, we've, we've spent a lot of time chatting with folks at LinkedIn and if anyone at LinkedIn's listening, just drop us a line. Um, I think there's two, so first off, like we're not going to, in the short term, like gate LinkedIn inboxes. I think it's a problem that's inherent to LinkedIn's product. And I enjoyed the article you sent me on the LinkedIn inbox next version. I don't think that solves the problem. Um, like, uh, I think LinkedIn, if that's the LinkedIn solution, they're still going to have people complain about it. Um, and so I think I hear two, and we've dug into this, right? We asked like 50 people, we said, listen, if you want gated for LinkedIn, what does that mean to you? Um, and so I heard two things. One is people are really annoyed when they accept an invitation and then get sold. 
I'm sorry you accepted the invitation, but that's your problem, like not my problem. Um, I do, um, so like, that's not a problem that we should be solving if you just decide to let that person into your inbox and now you don't want them in your inbox. Like that's a problem that you, the user should, should deal with. Um, I think the other problem you described was I'm getting too many connection invites and I get a ton. Um, and I think that's, that is a major problem. Um, I guess linked, the value of a LinkedIn connection has dropped dramatically over the last two to three years um, to the point where I see 23-year-old kids with 15,000 connections getting paid money to do a LinkedIn post. Um, and so I think LinkedIn's at risk of the value of the network further declining, um, which is unfortunate. And, and I think there's LinkedIn's got to figure out, do they want to be a place where the value of a connection is meaningless or, or not? Um, but I, unfortunately, the way to do it, if you want to become an influencer right now, is invite a lot of people. Um, and um, so I think most of the people that are complaining about this problem have themselves to to blame because they're accepting invites from people they don't know. Up until a year and a half ago when I became a CEO, I would not connect with somebody that I didn't know. Um, I think I understand how the game now works in LinkedIn, which is you might as well. Um, so I've accepted that. Um, and so I don't think we have a perfect solution to that pain, but we've got something else fun we're working on. I guess LinkedIn has tried by reducing the amount of connections you can send per week. I think they have reduced to where they put a um, barrier on before that you could do a hundred connections per day and you would, nothing would happen to your account, but they did come in and they put a restriction on that. You know, if you're sending too many more than a hundred is the number per week, you wouldn't be able to get, you'd get get restricted, you know, that you've sent your limit. Um, So I don't know if they've removed that for some accounts, but they definitely have that, you know, limit on. And that's how they were trying to solve this problem, which they're very much aware of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people hack around it. I talked to somebody the other day that uh, that they, you just upload a ton of connections to your Google contacts. You sync that to LinkedIn and then, there, and then there is no limit, right? So like, these are problems that people just keep getting around. I mean, I think at a fundamental level, it's an interesting problem that's appeared on LinkedIn very recently with I have this one guy, I have 300 connections in common. I pinged 30 or 40 people and I'm like, yeah, I don't know him. I can't help, right? And so like, that's unfortunately become the case now where just because you're linked to somebody doesn't mean you actually know that person in any way, shape or form. Um, and so it's a problem. Um, I think LinkedIn's just got to, like, that's not a problem that I feel like Gated can solve. I think it's a problem that LinkedIn needs to solve. I guess LinkedIn's trying to also figure out right now what, where does it want to play and how does it want to make revenue? Because I do have a product called Sales Navigator that is absolutely for outreach and lead generation. You know, it is a tool for lead generation. They are marketing it like so to the market. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, but it's funny because this connection spam that's happened has cheapened the value of LinkedIn sales now. I am more likely to respond to a well thought through invite than I am to a in-mail, which goes into a separate box. And so LinkedIn's kind of hurting its own product in this way. Like I think everyone's realized, you know, and, and more power to them. I mean, I see people with like 40,000 connections and they don't know these people, They but now they're treated as an influencer and treated more intelligently. And, um, and some of them are even getting paid to post, which is really interesting. One thing I do myself, and I started doing this about a year ago, was because I really wanted a quality network. So if I wanted, I could have a lot more followership, but what I wanted was a quality network of the right people. So I get about, you know, anywhere from 20 to 100 connection requests per day and we just I just go through and they can follow my content you know that's there that's what I'm there to do is but I don't end up connecting and a lot of good influencers that are doing like Richard um, Vanderblom who I had on as well like he's got only 16,000 connections but he's got a legitimate 40,000 followership because he doesn't also like me so we've all decided that we don't because we don't want the message we don't need to be connected by message unless we feel a certain compelling that we want to have that conversation with one another but lots of people that are legitimate they think they're just following that content along and you know and that's what I think a real 
influencer can do is, you know, actually have followership rather than connection. I think you're right. And I mean, I've actually enjoyed some of your LinkedIn articles. Unfortunately, LinkedIn has not, like I, I, I used to write a lot of thought leadership on LinkedIn. I've written a whole handbook on there. LinkedIn does not reward native long form content. And it's, it's like, there's you and I are now, now you've got me in my LinkedIn rant phase, but like LinkedIn doesn't like you, you write probably more than anybody I've seen recently, like a lot of LinkedIn articles, but those aren't rewarded. Um, and, um, and then I'd say, I wish there was a button, which is right now it's accept or ignore. I think it'd be like, thank and suggest follow, right. would be a brilliant button if LinkedIn. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Happy to exchange one message with you. You seem like a nice person. But why are you asking to connect? Like, please follow me instead. Yeah, I know. And that's what the bad part absolutely is because I feel so bad when we're not accepting that connection and I can't really go back to them and say, you know, I don't have that time to go back and say, sorry, um, why don't you follow me instead? Because you can only have so many connections, you know, at the end of the day. In LinkedIn, there's a cap out at 30,000. So you really want to make sure the 30,000 that you do connect to are really people that you need to communicate with because you're doing something with them. Or I'm sure you follow like Dunbar's number and stuff like that, right? The, uh, the Dunbar number? Yeah. Do you know all about the theory of the Dunbar number and everything like that? No, I don't. Tell me. Well, yeah, there's a famous number called the Dunbar's number, which is um, you can have relationships with 150, whether it's enhanced or not. And so, yeah, this whole 30,000 blows my mind, right? Like it's... It, you know, if LinkedIn dropped that cap to 10. Oh, well, I think the reason the true influencers and how they became influencers was, of course, they, they accepted connections or those people would get delivered their content. Maybe there wasn't a follow button as well back then and they had to, you know, switch to that and they evolved to that. So it makes sense, you know, like Chris has got 80,000 followers, but he's still going to be connected to probably uh, 20,000 20, of those people that he wants to communicate with and he does accept, I'm sure, of those. So... What's interesting is it's kind of like, do you accept every connection or not? That's sort of a choice, I think. But once you get into that 20,000 and you start creeping in, you really start putting those breaks on. You know, I did. And I started removing people off my LinkedIn. You've seen other influencers actually say it on there and saying, you know, if you don't like this, what I'm posting, please, you know, unconnect with me because I need to free up space for greater engagement. The problem with this whole connection request thing I started realizing is you get a unengaged community and then your engagement is now going down. You know, you're posting content, but you've got people who are not interested in that particular piece of content. It's being showed and then LinkedIn's thinking your content's crap, but you've just connected with a whole lot of people that are not relevant to you because they want to sell you something and they're never going to engage with your content. And yeah, you're right. With the reward part of it is really interesting that you say that because the first article you will ever do, like if you do a newsletter on LinkedIn, like if you use their feature newsletter, not article, but if you turn yourself into going, I'll do a newsletter, you get a huge, almost adrenaline feeling when you launch your first newsletter. It's so hyped up because you get so many people that end up joining because it's a one-time notification it's like a connection request it tricks them to feel like it's a connection request the way newsletters were set up is it just all comes through as if you're getting a connection request and a lot of people just hit you know yeah confirm confirm and and like an email you can put a really strong subject line in and you got it right there and people go wow um I've got all these you know people that have joined my newsletter and some of them didn't mean to you know so then if you continue to post, you will see a deterioration. But I think if you're posting because you want views, I'm posting because they're things that I'm learning and I'm passionate about and I look for positive reinforcement from people. Like when you asked me that question, what's, you know, message-focused inbox, I was like, yes, I've got, I just wrote about it, you know. It's like exciting for me to go, here it is. Or I love people writing back and going, that was really useful and they're sharing it. And I think that's what you're looking for now is I want to create a community where people actually want to have a conversation with me because I think I'm a legitimate person that's passionate. I couldn't agree more. I want to, it's not about clickbait or, or reposting a tweet. It's, uh, it's about trying to, I, I found LinkedIn's one of my best resources for research. Hey, I'm working on this problem. Does anybody have an idea? Um, 
is almost a first quick way. And then you're able to find like the three or four people you spend time on, or you just ideate off of that. Like I do that. I do a lot of like discussion and working out loud um, in, in LinkedIn has been incredibly powerful. Yeah. I love, uh, cause you post really how you are thinking about a product and we can actually get insights sometimes when you're posting. So you are really, I guess for me, I was looking at you going, you are using your LinkedIn influence in a way to shape your product. Listen here back on that platform. About a month ago, I did post the, Hey, we've heard so many times like LinkedIn for are gated for LinkedIn. What do people really want to hear? We got some phenomenal input on that. Um, definitely guided like our offsite and, and a lot of thought processes there. Do you think that, you know, founders, CEOs like yourselves, do you see that influencer marketing and I call it, you know, CEO influence and the CEO or employee advocacy, where do you see the place of that now in our marketing mix? You know, with email, we've talked about there is a place, but it's all about good content. Where do you see, you know, these social media channels like LinkedIn? And then we can talk about some of the other ones, like why not Twitter? You know, where do you see a place in LinkedIn for you as a CEO? I think I've seen a number. I mean, I'm a big stu- uh, student of great marketing tactics that then we can use, right? So clearly brand works very well for us at Amp, and we're using a lot of that same playbook um, with our manifesto, with, um, with the brand, the look, the feel, how it comes across. Um, we, I'm very thoughtful about that. Um, I think that I've seen, you know, a number of different firms that have had um, their executives talking publicly about what they're doing. Drift is probably the best example where Dave Gerhard and Dave Cancel, um, they both did it. And that, that was incredibly impressive. Um, I've also seen ones where, you know, so we're really conscious of how we come across and we're building a brand for everybody versus something that wants to fit. So we're, you know, we had a dust up about three weeks ago where we were very, it was very hard for us to engage and defend ourselves, but we did and we did it in an honorable way. But I think there are other people that will, will try to, you know, like to me, all controversy and all noise is not good. You want it to be building the community as well too. So I'd say it's, you know, it's very rare that I will choose to engage negatively. Um, and, um, you know, we're trying to be positive. We're trying to build people up. You know, I'm a big fan of helping, like people have helped me in places and so like with my journey, when I was in two recessions and didn't have jobs. And so like, I, I, I've hit hard things before. And so I try to help people. Right. So a lot of my best relationships have come from LinkedIn in different ways and meeting people and, you know, sending a, a little quick invite of like, Hey, I've really loved how you're doing this. This is really neat. And like people respond well, and you probably see the exact same thing. So I think I am, I, I, I'm in a different role than I was in in my last role. My last role, I was running marketing and, and uh, or demand gen and rev ops. And a lot of people wanted to sell to me. Um, here, I'm in, I have to be the face of the company along with some of our executive team as well too. And so it's it's a playbook that's run well. Um, I think you have to have substance behind it too. Um, and there are some people that maybe not don't have substance behind that. Um, and they've done a good job of building brands. But when you look under the covers, there's not much there. And so I think that's, you gotta have that first. Absolutely. How do you get your C-suite or your key executives to also, you know, build a brand, a personal brand, you would say, which represents, you know, they're part of a company, but they'll take that brand with them anywhere they go to. How do you encourage that? Is that by you leading? Um, Melissa, um, my co-founder, head of marketing, like she thinks a lot about it too. It's important to her, but everyone gets to do it themselves. We had one employee that said respectfully on day, you know, we celebrate every employee on LinkedIn when we hire them. One said, listen, respectfully, I just don't want to be on LinkedIn. We're like, okay, that's fine. That's your decision. And so I think, you know, we're going to coach. We're going to encourage. We just hired a a gentleman to run customer success. He had like 800 followers. I was like, are you okay if we kind of turbocharge you a little bit? And he's like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Right. And, but that was his call. And so I think everyone's got to, everyone has to find their own groove. Some people are comfortable in those scenarios. Some people aren't. Um, I definitely, a lot of people that worked for me, I coached to write on LinkedIn. I think where my world opened up was when I started writing. Um, and, and I've got a lot of articles on my LinkedIn profile. I, I, you know, I put a lot of heart and soul into them. Um, and so that was definitely helped. And so I try to coach people on like, listen, you know, write your first article and stuff like that. Like Melissa, Melissa is a world-class copy editor too. So right. If somebody's going to produce something, we're going to make, we'll help them make sure it's good as well too. No, I love it. I love it. And, and, and as we're seeing uh, more and more, even Chris, 
which you and I both were a fan of, and that's how we connected. And I said, you know, Chris, we had Chris Walker immediately on it. He's turned his language from demand gen into this thing called influencer marketing more and more, and really saying, you know, only people that have got the long term thought and have the ability to think beyond creating content at that personal level are going to end up winning, but most people won't do it for the next five years Um, because that's, you know, they're all just after a short-term return on how can I sell, sell, sell right now and get, get, get in this immediate. And, you know, we do need a short-term sales cycle for those people that you solve their problem immediately, but there's this whole other phenomenon that's happening. Um, But companies find it really hard, right, to empower the employees because employees are like I'm busy I've got these KPIs that you've set on me and now you want me to post as well well here's an interesting one that I've discovered like it's actually really hard to follow your own company's page LinkedIn like I want to see every post our company does um, and LinkedIn does not make that easy right like why can I not bell my own company um, it, it makes no sense and so like I have we have to, we, we ended up having to like have one of our programmers like hack the feed and, and create it and put it into a Slack channel. So like LinkedIn doesn't make it easy, right? Like um, in, in theory, I think employees, there are tools that you can buy to do it, but those are expensive. And, uh, and, and so I think we've tried to make it as easy as possible for people. So there's a, as of last week, there's a Slack channel which pumps in every company post um, and every post of one of our executives so people can like amplify those yeah, I think I saw you post about that. Super smart that, you know, you're, yeah, you were like, okay, we're going to bring this into a Slack channel so we can talk about it. Yeah, it's, that was a good example where I needed to do something. I posted LinkedIn. I got the answer off of LinkedIn. And then what about the execs that, so you, I think that's a great, what you've got is you will teach the execs how to write. Cause I think once you, they know exactly the format, then you've empowered them on. So like there's a training, it sounds like a piece and then there's a piece of, you know, making sure that they've got the time and it's valued what they're actually taking the time out to produce content. And they can start off with just text posts, very simple um, to do, right? You know, do you try and actually encourage and embed that within your culture? Like how much do you actually go, hey, let's all do a LinkedIn post at X time? Or is it more like, hey, I did, how do you encourage that behavior? Because you're doing it. Is that enough or is there sometimes you will after the training's done how do you actually make sure that they've got the time capacity to do what's the uh, the quote of you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink um yes so you you can empower them to an extent but um i was watching one of um chris's tiktok videos and he said you know social media content influencer marketing costs money it costs me a hundred thousand a month to do the content I do every single day. And it takes eight hours to 10 hours every week for me to do the, the content at the level I do. And I was thinking about it too. I was like, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's actually, if you want your employees to do that good content or writing, you actually do have to remember that you're paying for that. That's time that they're not doing something else. So you have to, as a CEO, probably value that and see value that I want that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I, we see so much drive off the part. Like every morning I wake up and, you know, I have 10 to 15 people at mentioned engaged on some email pane. And so like that, that's, that's work, but that works. Like that's, that's the community that's turned it into love. I, I so I think that works pretty well. Um, you know, we've also got things we can like our new employee, we have a fire hose of new users that rather than me connecting with every single one, he can connect with every single one. Right. So like, you know, I'm, I'm enough of a, influencer now, whether it doesn't matter how many you have, but people will, people keep calling me one. So I guess I am. Um, and now, now we just turn that fire hose from him to me. And I only connect with, you know, super influential users, but like, you know, every user gets an invite from somebody on our team and now he's oh, got the that's fire hose. Super, that's super cool that you've got it all set up, that you understand that someone connect, becomes a user, connects with someone in your organization. So you've got a really nice system. It sounds like LinkedIn's really there embedded within your culture and part of your marketing mix before we um, go and get your final thoughts on the other channels LinkedIn advertising are you a fan depends um, so LinkedIn is highly effective for targeting b2b buyers but costs an absolute ton I'd say every time LinkedIn opens up a new advertising medium everyone should jump on it because the ROI is high 
right? So when they did, you know, when they did in inbox ads, or you could place things in inbox, like those are LinkedIn, every time they rolled a new product, like jump on, right? Like if it's polls, go abuse the hell out of that one. If it's this, do that. So I think anytime LinkedIn rolls out a new ad skew, I will be all over it. Um, but the core LinkedIn paid is too expensive um, for most companies to use at any effective. This targeting is so well. Um, some of our friends, um, metadata, you know, their, their, their tagline is get LinkedIn targeting on Facebook and, um, and Twitter. And so I think you, you can, have, if you have a broad appeal, so if I'm using it for a specific persona and I'm selling very expensive sales, yes. Gated, we're giving away the product for free. Um, and so, but it's also has a much broader appeal. So no, um, I would use display or I would use something else like that in that case. And so uh, I think it's hard for me to say definitively every company should or should not use LinkedIn. I think it makes sense in some cases. Yeah. Um, it's super, it's super interesting. I'm going to be releasing some stuff that I would love to be, I'll pass on to you because I think you'll enjoy it because I've been super testing it as to how you can get that cost per impression really down and what are the methods because I've trusted every single format and one format has moved from 17 CPC down to 50, 60 cents CPC, you know, just a format change. I was just, it's, you've got to understand how formats exactly the same ad, but because they don't allow dynamic testing, like, you know, Facebook does, you know, that you can just go and press one button and it will test everything very quickly, audience, da, da, da. You have to test one by one and you have to pay for that test opportunity because each campaign you have to have a minimum, right? So it actually costs you money. So I'll be releasing that, but you'll find that super interesting as to how you got to strategize to win quickly on there. Like just while everyone's listening, I will throw this at everyone so you can win. Put a video, it's lowest cost of acquisition, but a very you know hyped video um, for your brand. And then because you can retarget right there on the video views, it's a one time, it's, it's really good that you can actually target video views and then push them into your next part. So grab a lot at the top and then push them. If you need, if you've got a big high um, product, you can go into a conversation ad after another touch point or you can go straight in. But I think the front cold funnel is really expensive. So if you lead with a video view, it's the lowest sort of way you can buy those impressions and still retarget those views. Um, so that's my little tip, but more coming out on format testing. That's good. Yeah. I think if, if people are constantly studying LinkedIn, there will always be a new format that will be a high ROI. It's like in, in my mind, every demand gen team at certain scale should always be doing LinkedIn, but they should not be doing the, the old SKUs. They should be playing with the new stuff. No. Yeah. You've got to understand like in, even if you choose engagement format versus website visit, you're paying more for the exact same ad. And if you don't know this, you're thinking LinkedIn's really expensive, but then I'm like, but hang on a minute, you can acquire at such low CPC if you just choose the right format and then you get the messaging. Yeah, conversational was great for a while. Right? Yeah, like it was, it was but it's going to be expensive because it's lead generation. But if you choose that lead generation format, you know, the one that they give you when you're setting up an ad, you've basically said, yeah, I'm rich. I'm, I'm, I'm like here for lead generation and they're going to charge you through the nose. So you've got to be really careful on how you are positioning those ads. Yeah. And the days of companies raising 50 million and just going out and blowing it all on LinkedIn ad budgets are, are over. Oh, no, no, no. I think there's, I think it's the tact, you know, and a lot of people that have tact are in Facebook still, right? And once they start coming and saturating, they're going to show exactly how this is done because they've come from a B2C world. Like if they can do B2C, B2B is like, you know, once they figure out messaging, that's where they're going to, they're not able to message because they're still messaging to a B2C buyer. But if they prove out some of that tech, like the influencer marketing that you and I are talking about, that's a B2C game. That's been done over and over in Instagram. Well, all, all the all the innovation in marketing comes on the B2C side. There's a B2B marketer in there. <laughs> yeah. And we're just coming in and saying, you know, do this. Let's Talk about maybe where are you at in terms of your presence in Twitter? What do you think about Twitter? You know, and um, what about the video marketing um, opportunities that are coming across in TikTok? You know, where where are you at with your marketing, with yourself as a CEO and an influencer on those platforms? I don't spend much time on LinkedIn personally. Our marketing team has a presence there. We haven't seen it yield a ton. It did different mediums, different people. I think. We think TikTok 
is going to be cool. There's some fun stuff coming from this pretty soon. Twitter, you don't spend any time. Instagram, Facebook, any? I mean, I refuse to go on the Facebook platforms these days. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm done with the company. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's meta now. Okay, Andy, it's meta. I shouldn't say. <laughs> Still not handling people's data in good ways. And I think um, I, after that Cambridge Analytica scandal, I unplugged all of my Facebook stuff. Like, I'm sure we will be on there from a presence of the company, but I think, you know, they're taking it in the shorts right now. I think they have a 12 PE multiple, like the, the, the market's pricing them to shrink pretty dramatically. I mean, they still have a lot of people, um, but um, I, I personally don't go on there, but I'm sure our marketing team will. For all the faults that LinkedIn has, we trust them with our data. The fact that we may be searching for a job, although they do sell that a little bit now too, um, but uh, we trust them with our data um, and they handle it in an ethical way. And I think that's something that we think a lot about with Gated as well too, right? Like we're built for the user, not for the sender. And so we need to treat the data very ethically and never sell it or share it or do any of that stuff. And I think that people should be asking that about everybody they they use every tool it's and for you because of your brand and the way you have built gated and what you're trying to do you the marketing and the way you market has to be so careful it's almost much more difficult in your particular company to market in an ethical way that you're not actually doing the email blast and that's what your product is for is it would be a it would be a difficult navigation for you as a company to make sure that you're also staying ethical and true, right? Because there's so many marketing tags that would be blown out for you that you can't actually utilize. I don't think it's hard for us because I'm later in career and I've done, this is, this is, we are building, as Gartner has said, the first tool for users to defend themselves. Um, we are not building the 10,000th and first tool for senders to pummel buyers. And so like our loyalties are clear. Um, and that's like deep in our soul. Like we'll never compromise that stuff. But I think I, that's why some of the other attempts at what we've done have failed because people think there's a faster way. And there's correct. Well, it's been a pleasure, Andy. I really enjoyed the conversation. We got to explore lots of different aspects of email marketing, your journey, LinkedIn. Um, I've learned so much as well about exactly what Gated is doing and what you're thinking of. I love seeing you on LinkedIn. I love seeing you influence over there and being so authentic. You inspire me to be also more authentic and also inspired us to up our email game and be like, you know, what are we doing here? So thank you for that. The team here, we love you guys for bringing the attention and the awareness of, you know, that we don't want to receive inappropriate email so thank you for that thank you welcome to Gated's user i just saw it before i hopped on the call and uh we'll have lots of fun i, I love your approach and, and i've learned a lot as well today you're listening to innovative minds with melanie francis tune in every thursday and spark your mind